0: stay seated today, I'm going to write, here's what I'm going to do, and I want you to notice the things that I highlight on the screen, so we're going to just kind of slowly walk through it, because what I'm going to do is read through the text today, and then highlight some stuff on the screen for you to remember later as we start to break down and make some points as we go through, but I'm going to slowly read through this and just highlight things without commenting, um, so that you can remember these as we're walking through the text. But remember, as we're reading, this is God's word. Can you say amen to that? Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who was baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Something we're going to look back on. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sichar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus tried as he was from, and Jesus And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down at the well. And it was noon. When a Samaritan, you're going to see this a lot, woman, Samaritan woman, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had just gone into town to buy food. Look at those things highlighted on the screen. We're going to continue. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jews do not associate with with Samaritans Jesus answered her if you knew the gift of God that and who it was who asked you for a drink you would have asked him and he would give you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw the well from the water and the well is deep get this living water are you greater than your father than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as also his son and his livestock? Jesus answered, "Everyone who drinks this water will never thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become to them A spring of water welling up to eternal life. If you drink that water, you'll be thirsty again. If you drink this water, you'll never thirst again. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and I don't have to keep coming back to this well. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you don't have a husband. The fact is, you have five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. There's six. And what you have just, and what you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. (laughs) (laughs) Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but... You Jews, you claim that this place is where you must worship is in Jerusalem. Notice place. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time, a place and a time. A time is coming when you will worship the Father. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet the time is coming and has now come. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I'm the one you're talking about. I am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Surprised to find him walking, talking with a woman. But no one would ask, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, leaving her water jar, leaving her water jar, The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I did. He told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, you got to eat something. But he said, I've eaten food you don't even know about. Then his disciples said to each other, Did somebody bring him food? said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, to finish his work. Church, I I wanted us to read through it slowly, um, but I want us all to remember this is God's word. So you're already seated, so can you say amen? This is God's word. It's going to be hard for you to remember all of those places that we underlined and uh, walked through, but I I want you to try to remember those places because I'm going to make some points along this but before we dive into this series is all about love walked among us i, I want you to see the woman because if you see the woman you're going to see brokenness you're going to know brokenness let's let's take 1 minute in this text before we spend the whole time looking at jesus and just see this woman for a minute because you can see from the very beginning That she is guarded. She has a lot of walls that she's put up. Rightfully guarded. She's been abused. She's been abandoned. She's been in sin in multiple relationships. Scripture also says she came to the well at noon which if you knew that time frame, is she was going there when no other women would be there. There was a time women would go, and it wasn't noon. She was not like the other girls. She didn't fit in well with the other girls. She had a reputation. She also was... Isolated, not only just separated because of the barriers people put up with with her, but she was isolated, and she kind of just found herself going. I don't want the, I don't I don't want to go with the other girls. It's not going to be that kind of thing. He she she uh, she didn't fit in well. She wasn't the typical girl, and because of. That not only was she a woman who was different than all other girls, wanted in isolation and kind of alone and, and purposely alone. She was independent. She also uh, would be what you would kind of call uh, sassy, I guess, maybe. She ain't scared of him. She's not scared of Jesus. I mean, when he goes, hey, can you get me a drink? She, who are you, who you talking to? Right? She's got this edge to her. You see, what ends up happening is some cultures and some contexts attach morality to personality. And so when we see somebody who's got some edge or just straightforward or kind of blunt, what we end up doing is not seeing them, writing them off, and just calling them angry or guarded. Maybe because we attach morality to just kind of soft-spokenness. We don't know how to handle people who just straight up, right? And the reality is when Jesus sees her and, and they have this conversation, he's not offended by it, he's not even bothered by it, he doesn't even go, calm down girl, right? We can also see she's not satisfied. Jesus knows this, he keeps calling it out. And as the conversation goes on, she starts at the beginning of the conversation talking a lot. Towards the end of the conversation, she has some revelation and she starts shutting up a little bit. She talks less and less as the conversation goes on. Which shows us that she she guards herself by trying to talk over and act strong. Some of you, as I'm explaining this, think I'm explaining you. I know some girls like this. Matter of fact, I might be married to a girl like this. I love this girl. There's so much in this that ends up becoming these things where we see people with barriers, who've ran into barriers, who've created barriers. She's not intimidated easy. She's not scared of men. Matter of fact, she's learned how to manipulate men. She doesn't fit in with the women. She's not like every other girl. She's broken. She's the church. She's us. See, the reality is if we see this woman, if we really see this woman, we can try to tell her to calm down. But Jesus does something else. But this series isn't about studying this woman. This series is about seeing Jesus. It's not about seeing the woman. Because if you see Jesus, you see and you end up knowing what love is. You see, often I, I, I feel like we look in different places for love. We're kind of like this woman. We're constantly looking for love in the wrong places. It might be a song like that or something. We're constantly looking for love, and the reality is we say, well, if somebody could define it for me, if someone could, could tell me what love is, or we start studying love languages and go, you tell me what love is and show me how to love you and show me what this love is. And, and they're trying to show you, people who don't know what love is, trying to show you what love is to them. And we're constantly defining these love things by other people and other places and other relationships and other things and all this. But the reality of Scripture shows us you will only know love if you know Jesus. God is love. There's no dictionary to define it for you. There's no love song you could sing that will accurately depict it to you. God is love. So when you see Jesus... You get to not only know what love is, you get to experience love, because you won't know love unless you first experience love. Then you can follow love, just like we're called to follow Jesus. So this series is all about not defining love, but getting to know love, seeing Jesus, and knowing love, and following love, because love walked among us. Love is the person of Jesus. So let's look at Jesus for a moment. First is this, love does not take the easy route. Verses 1 through 4 spend a lot of time kind of going into some details that you might just pass over because you're like, why do we care where he's going? We don't know it. He's going from this place to this place and he had to go to Samaria, it says. He had to go to Samaria, verse 4 says. Now, when it says had to go, you could just think, well, it's because it's on the way. It's on the way to Galilee, and so he had to go. It's right between the two destinations, so we had to go through there. But the reality of this language, had to go, shows intentionality because Samaria was not a place that people went. Samaritans... And Jews didn't hang out, didn't like each other. They were enemies. I mean, the woman pointed that out from the beginning. So, most people, if they were taking a a, a trip like this, would go a different route. They would go the easy route, they would go the comfortable route. But Jesus said, or, or scripture says, he had to go, which he's trying to show. He knew that he could go the easy route, but he was going to go through a neighborhood no Jew ever went. He was going to go to places that nobody else went. You see, he wasn't going to take the easy route. Listen, I, I want you to hear this. Love is not the easy route, not the comfortable route. It takes you places that, that you never thought you would go and nobody else. Had. And, and your mama sat down with you and said, don't go there. It's not the easy route. And it's going to take you places that you never thought you would be. It's going to take you to neighborhoods you never thought you would go. And this sense of where love takes us is places we try to avoid. It's that neighborhood you you go, I know it's a little longer to go the other way, but I ain't going through there. When I, t- I told somebody our church was Redemption Alhambra, they said, oh, I ain't ever going there. I said, why? They said, well, I finally got out of Alhambra. I ain't, I ain't coming back, even for church. It's Alhambra. It's the, the reputation. It's, it's the place nobody goes. It's once you get out, you don't go back. You see, the realities of this is love takes us to these places. It's not the comfortable path. And Jesus had something. see, the woman wandered to the well trying to avoid people. Jesus intentionally went to the well because he had to go there, Scripture said. He had something to do. He had someone he was going to meet with. He had to go there. But notice this, when he gets to the well, he sits down and scripture makes another point, a detail that you shouldn't pass over. He was tired and hungry. He, Jesus, the God of the world, the creator of all things, God in flesh dwelling, tired and hungry. Because love takes the relational approach. See, here comes this Samaritan woman, and his first thing is, What's up, girl? Can you give me some water? You see, often we can see those who we think are less than us, weaker than us, coming from places that are more broken than us, and think we have everything to offer, and they have nothing to give. If anybody could take that approach, the God of the world could. But the approach he takes with this woman is he's tired and he's hungry. And he needs her to serve him. Church, There are so many times in Scripture where Jesus receives something from people that even makes his disciples uncomfortable. Like the woman who comes and pouring out all of her oil, expensive oil on his feet, and they're going, Jesus, that money could be spent in better places than on your feet. And he receives her worship. He receives it. You see, so often we think our relationships with people who are broken and outside, that we as Christians are like way up here and we're the ones who are just one way giving, always giving, and we have nothing to listen to or receive. You didn't learn that from Jesus. Pride taught you that. Notice also he's fulfilling relational approach, because he's sitting at something called Jacob's well. Remember I circled that, Jacob's well. Now Jacob is an interesting character because he's one of the fathers of... Jewish, you know, tradition, but he's also Samaritan father. Basically, she was referring to Jacob as, as this forefather here of, of them. And so he's sitting at Jacob's well. And if you know Jacob's story, he's following in the footsteps of going to a well, meeting a woman named Rebecca, and then running up to her at the well, and then falling on her and kissing her and trying to manipulate the father. You know, he's coming to find a relationship at the well. But There's a, another father Jacob's name, Isaac, who went to a well also to find a relationship. And Isaac was given some advice. He was given some advice from his father to say, When you go to this well, I want you to ask a question to a woman that comes to the well. Ask her for a drink of water. Mm-hmm. And when you ask her for a drink of water, Isaac, you're going to know the woman you're going to marry by how she responds. She's not only going to give you water, she's going to give your flock water. So what this shows in this text is Jesus is asking this woman, give me water at Jacob's well, prophetically revealing that he's there for a relationship. Love is relational. It's not one way. This question is drawing her in to a relationship, but notice what she does. She puts up barriers. I'm a woman and a Samaritan. You're a man and a Jew. We don't talk to each other. That's in the text. I circled it. Go back. You don't believe me. Y'all look at me like, where are, you cutting, where are you getting this stuff? Love crosses barriers, church. There are so many barriers that we have in our culture that they had in their culture. So many barriers. And this text that I read mentioned multiple barriers. One is when the disciples came back, in verse 27 it said they were afraid to ask Jesus, but they were thinking, why are you talking to a woman? Alluding to they thought he was hitting on her or this, but they didn't want to say something. Because the only kind of relationship that that would ever be is not the kind of relationship of, of the kind of love that was being really demonstrated. In their mind, they had already sexualized it. Man and women barriers. Samaritan and Jew barrier. There's the ethnic barriers. The racial barriers. These different contexts, these different races, these different cultures, they don't talk to each other. They don't get to they don't get the fellowship, right? They don't they don't get to come to each other. So these barriers are are there. But Jesus crosses that barrier. What else does he cross? The historical background, family barriers. He's I like, I come from Jacob, and you come from this place, and my father did this. See, we all got different ba- families, different backgrounds, different contexts. There's another barrier. We don't hang out. We don't come from the same place. We don't got the same family. We don't got to the same culture. What's another barrier? Her sin her brokenness, her abuse. You want to know what another barrier is that she brought up at the end? We don't worship the same. We don't go to the same church. tell you that much. You all Jews think you worship here. We worship over here. Religious barriers. You know what? We've talked about this a lot at this church, but I'm going to tell you this. It is hard to walk around saying love, Like Jesus, when all around you, the only people that you will choose to be around are people who look exactly like you, come from the same places as you. Your love hasn't crossed any barriers and you say, oh, I love like Jesus and and, and everybody looks like you. when, When I see that, when I see everybody looking like you and everybody talking like coming from the same places as you, I wonder what's bringing you together except you. You're trying to find people who look like you and not people who are created in the image of Christ. We're constantly hitting up to barriers of reasons why we can't be in community together and relationship together. But true love crosses those barriers. And and that's why in this church we are going to continue to press into, lean into the barriers. Because we believe if Christ's love is in us, you could be Jew, Greek, male, female, but we're all one in Christ. Christ brings us all together. Matter of fact, not just just, just for His glory, but we need each other for our good. Love crosses barriers. And it's easier to preach than it is to live. Can the church say amen? Y'all are quiet today. Because you have love that stays inside the box. Jesus crosses barriers. Love crosses barriers. You want to know what else is true? Love is not blind. It's not. He goes, go get your husband. See, yeah, I don't got no husband. Oh, no, 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 you're right. No, no, yeah, 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 you're right. No, no, that's true. No, you, 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 no you're, you're right. No, that's true. Right. No, 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 that's good. Jesus, yeah, no, that's good. That's right, you had five. The one you're with right now, six. He ain't your husband, so you're right. Yeah, no, that's right. She goes think you're a prophet. <laughs> you see often when we use this language love is blind, we miss what true love is because we get this thing in our mind that love can't see. Who someone is and the sins that they've done and their backgrounds and their past. We constantly talk about how we're color blind and black background blind and sin blind and abuse blind and gender blind. And, and we don't see it. And, and, and if that's the case, you better get that checked from a doctor because that, that's, that's a medical issue. That's not a love issue. Love is not blind. It's not color blind, gender blind, background blind, sin blind. It's not blind. It fully sees and knows you are fully exposed in front of love. But isn't it amazing that he just calls her out and she is fully exposed and doesn't run? She seems to get more offended over him asking for water than him, her calling him out than him calling her out on all of her husbands. Why is that? Because she's starting to see that this guy's different. She's been with six guys. Isn't it amazing? He points out six, and now Jesus is the seventh. If you know the significance of number seven, it's the number of completion in Scripture. There's this reality to this is the complete man right here. This reality of this seven man, this seventh man, this this one who is not blind, this one who knows everything about you, you are fully known, yet you're fully loved. She felt that. Could it be because we use language like love is blind, we don't know love? Because the more I know about my wife, the more she knows about me, both brokenness and beauty, for some reason that deepens love. Love is not blind. Matter of fact, it sees more. It sees prophetically. It sees places that they don't even want to show. It sees the things that are deeper than the color of skin. It sees the sti- things that are deeper than gender. It sees the difference it, it sees the deeper things. Love sees places that, that doesn't even nobody else can see. Love seeks those who will love in return. So often I think we think about God as this kind of one-way love. Now, what I don't want us to begin to think is that God's love is dependent upon our actions or our response. His love is dependent upon his character and who he is. But true love is not about being a stalker where you're just trying to force your love. True love pours out love with a desire for love in response. Not only is Jesus tired and hungry, he admits something to this woman that my father seeks worship, my father seeks after those who will respond in worship, not in a time and a place. It's not about going to a building or it's not about a time on Sunday. It is about a one who fully, heart, soul, mind, and strength loves and worships and adores. Church, I I often think that we preach a gospel that shows this great love Of God, which is true. But there is such a reality to what is being revealed to this woman that I hope we can hear. That this kind of love is a love that says, if I'm going to pour out this great love upon you and you're going to know this love, it's going to be a love that you pour out. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. and, And love your neighbor as yourself. This kind of love that gets poured into you can't be complete unless it's poured back out. Upon the only one that is worthy of all love and adoration and affection. So often I think we paint the picture of a God who's just forcing himself and doesn't desire love worship and worship in response. Love covers a multitude of sin, love melts the heart of the hard hearted. And then it continues to show us that love is something that's meant to be poured out. He's calling us, church, into a true relationship with him. In which we experience a love we've never known. And we pour out love upon him and worship upon him. That's a real relationship. Love reveals itself this is interesting to me and powerful. I love this text because for the first time, Jesus reveals something. And you want to know what he reveals or who he reveals it to? He reveals it to a woman. And not just a woman, a Samaritan woman. And not just a Samaritan woman, an outcast Samaritan woman. And not just an outcast Samaritan woman, one who's sassy and got up a lot of barriers and nobody else would choose to reveal it to first. He is... She goes, hey, look, I'm having a hard time understanding what's happening here, but there's going to be one coming. There's going to be a Messiah who's coming, and he's going to explain all of this to all of us. And he goes, it's not a time coming. He's standing in front of you right now. That one you're waiting for is right here standing in front of you. He reveals himself. He shows who he is to this woman. So much so that we see that as she comes fully exposed, fully known, fully in need and needing of satisfaction, she's going, I need, what I really need is the Messiah. And what she needed was to see who Jesus is. She needed to see Jesus. Jesus reveals himself because we would not know him unless he revealed himself to us. He shows us who he is. He brings, he in this way exposes himself. He shows who he is. You know what is amazing about this? His love satisfies the true craving. Because once she sees who Jesus is and realizes where she's at, she drops her water bottles on the ground. She forgot she came for water. Well, it's kind of prophetic. He told her that. You wouldn't even need the water here anymore. Because the kind of water that I'm going to for is not only going to satisfy you, but what else is it going to do? It's going to spring up out of you. So what does she do? She springs up. She runs off. She runs back to everybody she was trying to stay away from. Everybody she isolated herself from. Everybody she was ashamed of. Everybody who knew her past and her history. And everybody who said stuff about it runs back and says, somebody just told me everything I ever knew. Everything I've ever done. Somebody just told me, is this the Messiah? She becomes a well. Not only has she drank deeply from the well, now she becomes a well. See, love satisfies the true craving. She thought she needed water from Jacob's well. What she really needed was the living water. She asked Jesus, are you greater than my father Jacob? Yeah, I'm the true father. I'm the true water. I'm the true father. She asked him, Hey, are you the true husband? Yeah, I'm the better one. You've had six, I'm seven. Jesus is the full the only one that can satisfy. See, she's been looking for satisfaction in all these places and when she finds and sees Jesus and Jesus reveals herself, she drops everything else that she thought should satisfy and she runs back. But the interesting part of this is Jesus is now satisfied also. His disciples say, "Hey, you want some food?" He goes, "No, I'm not hungry no more." Jesus is satisfied. Jesus is satisfied to the point of he was hungry and tired, and now he's full. He got filled up by something. He doesn't want food no more. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, I just ate something you all don't even know exists. My food is to do the will, to finish the work. His will was to reveal the Father's love. He ate. He ate. He ate. Church, I think this is hard for us to understand. And and the reason why is because we have a twisted view of God's love for us. It's twisted. Not only does this woman run away satisfied, Jesus is fully satisfied. And illustrates something to the reality of what takes place in a true loving relationship. That his love for us is so deeply poured out. That he has come to finish the work. What work has he come to finish? And church, I, I pray that you see this because there's a lot of talk the last few weeks about something. And Jesus talks a lot about it. Jesus said he's come for one real reason. And a lot of us go, yeah, he came to die on the cross. He came to pay our price. He came to raise from the dead. He came to do this work. Yes, he came to do the work. Yes, he came to finish the work. Yes, that is true. But why did he do that work? He came to do that work to reveal the Father's love. He came to show you what true love is and He continues to talk about this love in one way. The Father's love. You see me, you see the Father. You hear me, you hear the Father. You look at my work, you look at the Father. And the reality is, this talk of the Father seeking, and the Father desiring, and the Father wanting our worship, the Father's love for us, is the deepest reality. And I think the church has spent so much time coming up with revelations that sound like, Jesus, God is our master. Yes, he's our master. But what if we changed it from God is our master to our Father, he's the master. Our Father, He's the Savior. But when we start with Master, Savior, Lord, what we end up doing is putting Him web, But God reveals Himself through Jesus in a primary way. And that's the way He wants us to see Him and not the way we see Him. The way He wants us to see Him is as Father. Church, can I just tell you, the more I dive in pastorally, the more I dig into my own heart, the more I start to realize a lot of our twisted view of God is because we have a twisted view of the Father. Church, I know that many of you in this room have had broken, absent fathers who have not been in your life. Your father... No matter how good you think they are or no matter how perfect you try to make them, you have father wounds that run so deep. There is no father. Even Jacob couldn't be the full father that was needed who provided this well for for the Samaritans. and Even Jacob, even the best of fathers can't be and fulfill this, this reality. They can only point to the true father. That many of us, are in lack because the way we view God is not as Father. Because we're scared of seeing Him as Father. And the reality is you will not know love until you know the Father's love. Can I just say it this way? Our daddy issues are keeping us from knowing Him. And as long as we keep looking at our broken pictures of love in our fathers who are absent, gone, who've abused and abandoned, who have done horrible things, or maybe they've done good things and we think we've had a great father, whatever it is, we're still lacking in longing. Because if we're honest, we look up into heaven and we see a God who is angry at us and just waiting for us to fail. We see a God who's just constantly breathing down our neck who doesn't love us or delight in us or seek anything or desire anything. That all it is is just we are on our own and our Father's love is it. But church, I, I feel like the only way you're going to see Jesus if you see what Jesus came to do, Jesus wanted you to show you the love of the Father. He wants you to see true love. And in order to see this, the reason he's fully satisfied is because this woman walked away fully satisfied. He came and he was wanting to show the love of the father. This woman saw it. If you see him and you don't see his father, you're missing it. The father heart of God that pours through it. His love for you. When a father says, there's nothing my kid could do. They could stop me from loving them. Doesn't mean they don't see them and think their kids are perfect. Now there's some fathers, but they're not good fathers who just paint a glamorous picture of their kids and will refuse to look at their brokenness. But a true father sees it all and loves them. Church, what I'm praying today is something I can't show you. Jesus has to show you. That's, that's how ill-equipped, I can't do nothing. I could preach this message and then try to convince you of it, but what really needs is Jesus needs to go, this is who I am. So with your eyes closed for a moment, I want to pray, because I can't give it to you. What I want to pray is that Jesus will open your eyes, and what you will see is that God is your Father. He loves you. And that for the first time, you've been looking and seeking after love in other places. You've been craving it, trying to find it in other places, but you don't know love because you don't know the Father. You don't know Jesus. And, and today, what I'm praying is that Jesus would open your eyes and that you would leave here satisfied. feel so weak right now, Father. I want them to know you so bad. I want them to see you. God, you have come and poured your life into me, broken, weak, insecure, young young person who was far from you, who was hiding in religion. God, you saved me. You opened my eyes and you showed me your love. If it wasn't for your grace and your love, and Father, I want to... I want everybody in this room to know you. I want my brothers and sisters to see you. But God, it's got to come from you. I can't do it. Father, please open open their eyes. Reveal yourself to them. Rush into the places they're trying to hide from you. Their brokenness, their pain, their fatherlessness, their empty. They're seeking in other places for comfort.